1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 31. I'll be reading out the New King James Version. God's Word declares, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we're all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the hand to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, these members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or, if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet I show you a more excellent way. Well, this morning we want to continue our study in the gifts of the Spirit and uh, press into the real objective of Paul in this study the theme that he really wants to work through is not really the development of your gifts, although that's certainly involved in this, but the real focus that he has really comes to this passage of the unity that the exercise of the spiritual gifts should produce within the church and the necessity that each one participate in ministry. And so today we are going to uh, talk a lot about an analogy of the body. We're going to use the body in a physical way to picture for us, as Paul does here, uh, the church. That the body becomes a picture of the church, that its members speak of the individuals within this church. And I do believe that he's referring to the local church, not just the universal church. Some have made that argument. I do not. Uh, this is in the context of the local church at Corinth. And so in that context, we're going to be talking about this church and I might even name a few names over the course of the sermon. Uh, I might uh, even prod a little bit here and step on a few toes, and that's planned. Sorry. And so I'm after uh, us understanding and applying this in a very specific way today 
of understanding the unity within the context of the diversity of ministries. And we're going to spend some time uh, looking at that, but I don't want to lose track of the foundation that we have laid of where those gifts come from, that we do not exercise our spiritual gifts, our own strength or abilities, but rather these are unique gifts given to us by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit, whereby we minister not to the elevation of ourselves, but to His name, where we are weak, but He is strong, where it is evident to everyone that this is not you doing it, but God doing it through you. We see it in the context not only of that this is a gift of God, but it's something to be developed. It doesn't be developed necessarily primarily the way we think of developing natural abilities. Well, you just got to keep working at it and practice. It, your spiritual gifts are developed, first of all, by a spiritual walk. Not by the exercise of your gift, but by meeting the prerequisite of exercising that spiritual gift, which means you're going to be walking in the Spirit. And that takes you back two weeks where we discussed about the necessity that if you are not living by the Spirit of God, do not anticipate that you should be exercising a spiritual gift of ministry in the church. Um, That's been going on far too often in too many churches because we have created a necessity for a certain type of ministry. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And therefore, we feel we need to fill all the positions. And therefore, we're willing to compromise. And we find people doing some of the work of the church by their own physical abilities. And therefore, because it was by their physical abilities, they don't have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit and they don't have to walk in the Spirit to accomplish those things. And so we come to this uh, idea of spiritual gifts, understanding that it requires me to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit, that if I am not dependent upon Him, and I'm rather dependent upon my natural abilities, that I am not ministering my spiritual gift, my physical abilities, my natural abilities. And it's too easy uh, for me to get the credit for that rather than God. And so I need to be walking with God, led by the Spirit, not grieving Him in my sin or lack of faith, um, but also recognizing that my spiritual gifts are for the benefit not of me, not for my benefit, but for the benefit of the church, And they are not to even glorify the church. Ultimately, they are to point to Christ. They are to elevate Christ. And if anything occurs under the guise of the Spirit of God that goes counter to the Word of Christ, then we know that it is not of God. It is of men. Whether that be prophecy, preaching, helps, administration, all these lists that we have here, um, we know that they must agree with the testimony of Jesus Christ, of the Father, as well as the Spirit. And so we have a means of evaluating them. Are they to the benefit of the church? Are they in agreement with the uh, ministry and the testimony of the entirety of the Godhead, of God's Word? And do they elevate God and require me to be dependent upon Him rather than the other way? The attitude that I'm going to elevate myself and the church is dependent upon me. And so this is the foundation of spiritual gifts as we come into verse 12 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. And so we jump right into our picture of the church being like a body. Before we get into our study of this interesting analogy, let's go Lord in prayer. 
Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word this morning. We pray that you might guide and direct our time in it. Might guard it, of course, um, for we need that. For we tend to bring meaning into the text of your scripture rather than allowing it to come out and change us. It's too easy for us to come to it and change it. And Lord, we pray for a guard today that we might uh, see your truth, acknowledge it, and subordinate ourselves to it. We pray for wisdom uh, as well as a guard. You might lead us into your truth by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we confess before you that which may hinder his work is our pride and our sin, our lack of faith, our worldliness. And Lord, we pray you might cleanse us of that even now. That you might have the preeminence in the next few minutes as we study your word in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for as the body is one, has many members, so also is Christ. And Christ referring certainly to the universal church, but in the specific application here to the local church. And so we have many members, and those members all comprise something we call a unit, a body. And we see the various, the great variety that's there within our bodies, the various functions of that variety, and we recognize its necessity. And Paul goes to some length here, and we don't really need to examine this uh, uh, verse by verse. We see the description of the foot saying to the hand, you know, I, I, you know you're not part of the body because you're not like me, or um, we don't really need you in our body. We recognize that we have these variety of parts that all function in coordinated effort. And every now and then, uh, one part of our body won't quite do what we want it to do, and we blame it. Um, you know, if you trip, oh, you know, my big toe or whatever, I've got a, you know, two left feet, whatever it is, we get clumsy. Uh, we blame that body part. Uh, we hit our thumb with a hammer and we blame the thumb, what were you doing there? Or the other hand holding the hammer, what were you doing? But we recognize ultimately that it's one body and that all these parts doing their functions, um, we, we count as our own. We don't isolate them. But we also recognize, uh, and I'm going to take this analogy a little bit farther, that when one body stops, one part of the body stops functioning, that it radically affects all the rest of the body. So is Christ, that when one body is hurt, all the body hurts. And that one part of the body is blessed, all the body is blessed. Uh, that when one does its job really well and the rest of the body just enjoys glorying in that, even though they might not have been directly necessarily involved. And Paul spells this all out and says, listen, if you will apply this idea to Christ, you'll see, first of all, that we have to understand the unity of the body of Christ. We are one, we are, for by one spirit, verse 13, we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Uh, the exercise of spiritual gifts in the church of Corinth wasn't bringing unity or a oneness. It wasn't being a coordinated effort to a single purpose, which was to glorify God, but rather it was fractioning the church into various directions, none of which ultimately could glorify God because God couldn't be glorified 
For they were in opposition to each other. They, therefore, they were only exalting themselves or their faction within the church. I am a Paul, I'm a Cephas, I'm a Apollos, I'm of Christ. And so we have this division going on. Not just a disagreement of opinion. Uh, that happens in churches and that's okay. Not a, not a diversity of personality. That happens whenever you get a group of people together. Even in your own family that happens. Especially if you have four, five, six kids. Then it really happens a lot. Um, but you... Uh, but we're talking about a true disjointing of the church in Corinth where they're going in opposite directions and backbiting and fighting really each other and opposing one another. And ultimately when that occurs, we know that Christ isn't glorified and therefore we know that none of those participating in that are of God. And this was the condition confronting Paul there in Corinth. That they claimed to be exercising spiritual gifts and how could you say that the Spirit was involved in this when you were not glorifying Christ, when you were not creating the oneness that God calls us to, but rather uh, you were creating division. And so we are reminded at the beginning of our study that the same Spirit is in each one of us. Doesn't matter. He does a couple of divisions there, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, um, add the divisions from this day uh, that we might use. We have an ethnic one. We have there an economic one. Uh, you can use a, uh, uh, whether you're male or female, you can use any of these uh, divisions that men create. And God says, you know, none of those are relevant to the discussion. That we are one in Christ. There is one spirit. And therefore, if we were all genuinely ministering out of that spiritual giftedness, then we should all be going the same general direction. It doesn't mean that we're not all doing different things because that's going to happen. Uh, so when I'm participating in a single activity, I realize that various parts of my body are doing different functions to accomplish that activity. And so whether it is at work where I might think, well, I'm just participating with my uh, brain at a desk, uh, we recognize there are other body parts certainly involved. And the, or, the organs are doing their job to keep your brain active. Once the heart decides, hey, you're just using the brain, I don't need to work right now, guess what? Your brain is done too. Whether it's a physical labor thereafter, we recognize that while I might say I'm working with my hands, I obviously have my hands attached through my arms to my torso and I require a lot of my, my core muscles to be involved in that as well. My shoulder, neck, all of it's there. And of course, it's coordinated by sensories uh, that are in my skin and fingertips and all of it's working together towards one common objective, all doing different functions, but to one purpose. And this is the evidence, again, of the Holy Spirit's part in it. That if it's done by the will of man, in the ability of man, it will go in man's direction. But if it's done by the power of the Spirit, according to the gifts of the Spirit, it will head in a singular direction, in that of glorifying Jesus Christ, even though a variety of activities are going on. And so we have this oneness that we are called to, and yet we know that there is that 
important word, diversity, that we're going to use quite often today, uh, that is intended there within the body of Christ. And so now the question becomes, what's important? What's important work for the body to do? Because we are told on several instances in God's Word that we should seek after the best. And I don't know if that's necessarily the best in terms of what we think of as more important. Uh, sometimes I think that's probably the, what God's best for you is, and that's the discovery of your spiritual giftedness in whatever area it is. Um, but we're also told, uh, Paul tells Timothy, that if you desire to be after the office of a bishop, you desire after a good thing. And that's not to be discouraged, but it is to be tempered by recognition that needs to be affirmed by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in the church around you. And I would uh, encourage you to do a study of Scripture to see how often the others in the church were participating in the identification and the selection process of those that were ministering in various capacities within the church, uh, whether it be the selection of deacons in Acts, whether it be the, the little prayer meeting there where the Holy Spirit comes and said, I want Paul and Barnabas out of you five. Uh, there was five there that affirmed that. And then they went to the church and the church confirmed that. And so we find this, this necessity to do this within community and not isolate it on your own. I'm going to go figure out what God's best is, what his gifts are for me, but rather within the context of the church is where those are to be discovered, developed, and used. We have a difficulty, though, in doing this within the church today. And the difficulty that I find in our society today is that the church is an invalid. The church today is a quadriplegic. It's in a wheelchair. I say, what do you mean, pastor? What I mean is that we have relegated spiritual gifts to one very, very small segment of our life and of society. We have relegated spiritual ministry to the programs of the church. And because of that, to this building and to the services, because of that, we think that the only spiritual gifts, ministries that can be used, have to be used either in Sunday school, um, which, by the way, they didn't have in Corinth back then, just to let you know that. Frightening, isn't it? Uh, has something to do with the worship services, has something to do with the other programs of the church, or have something to do with the building of the church, something else the church in Corinth didn't really have. Uh, we associate it with this building and these developed programs, and that if it's not used in, those, in that context of those limited things, that we just throw up our hands and say, I can't be used of God in the church. Well, that's a wrong view of it. And part of this debility that we have in the church, this, this quadriplegicness in the church where we have only the stuff from the neck up working, um, that we have, the, we, the, we have the association that if you're not teaching, that if you're not preaching, that if you're not evangelizing, if you're not one of those three, that you really don't have much to do in the church and it's not very important and it doesn't really matter whether you do it or not, um, is 
been created by some history over the last 60 years or so. That history has been that we have, whether by consent or simply by apathy, we've allowed tremendously large areas of ministry to be taken or given away from the church. And we have seen them being transferred, whether by our permission or by our apathy, being transferred to our government. We have seen ministries that I look back a hundred years ago and see the church actively involved in and see a large number of people engaged in it on a regular basis. And now we see that we're just, if we're involved at all, it's in conjunction with some other program, some parachurch organization, some other agency whether it be governmental or otherwise. um, And we just simply don't do that stuff anymore. And when I say that, most of you are thinking welfare. And and that certainly is probably one area. The care of widows is obviously described in Scripture. Care of orphans is our responsibility. It falls on the shoulders of the family of God that you sing about, uh, that we declare, that we don't really carry through and, and do because our government is largely covered that base, we think, we believe. And therefore, we're not involved. In a whole area of ministry, we have given away. And we are not even considering it when we think about our spiritual gifts and the exercise of them. But I want to take it even farther outside of that realm that all of you would probably agree with uh, into some other realms that might get you a little upset. You ready? Here we go. A hundred years ago, the dominant place where you were trained um, for life and life skills was in the church and within the community that it created. That is, our young ladies learned. They didn't go off to college. They learned how to be young ladies from the older ladies of the church. They learned how to manage a home. They learned about caring for their children. They learned about that. And uh, when you look back in the olden days and you see the quilting table, That was a church group, quilt and a quilt. And in that context was the forum whereby a lot of this generational information could be transferred from grandma to granddaughter, from mother to daughter, from the older ladies to the youngers. And we find that that ministry is gone. We have, in the course of of my lifetime, convinced every young lady in society that if she doesn't go to college, she will be a failure. And we have relegated our education to colleges, to vocational schools, to out there where you pay exorbitant amounts of money for it, and our young people come out in debt, not necessarily able to make a living, maybe, but we have communicated the wrong thing. In the course of that, we have lost ministry. Vital ministry. And we have lopped off a leg here, a foot there. We have incapacitated enormous areas of, of ministry from the church simply by participating and agreeing with society that we can't do it. When in fact, we simply won't do it. 
because we've agreed with their ideas, with their philosophies about what success is and what it takes to be successful, um, we don't participate in the development of our young adults, in the development of our home lives, in the development in those ministries the Bible specifically instructs us to participate in. This is not just me on my soapbox. The Bible commands that the older ladies instruct the younger ladies. Commands you to. And we stand in disobedience to that command and there's no college in the world that can take its place. In fact, I would contend that that is part of the disaster happening to the family is because we are not connected to God's design. We send off 18, 19, 20-year-old young ladies from the authority of their father uh, and we send her off to college. And I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about 40 years ago, 50 years ago. We send her off to college with no authority over her. And then we wonder why she doesn't want to surrender or submit to her husband. Well, we have already done the damage because she hasn't been instructed. And, and so we are a generation now, more than a generation, two generations away from the idea of ministry that the church really possessed, that Paul's church here in Corinth possessed. This fullness of ministry one to another. And because of that, we think that the only important ministry or the only ministry at all there is to do has to be in reference to church programming and church building, church services. And it's horrific. For our homes have stopped being places of ministry. We have stopped seeing the community as a place of ministry for the church. Can the church be built up? Yes, the church must be built up, but not just by teaching and preaching. There are many, many other avenues by which the church must be strengthened. Our homes must be strengthened. Our parenting must be strengthened. Our society must feel the impact of godly men and women exercising their spiritual gifts in the marketplace among other saints. That the world looks at how Christian treats Christian and, and the benefits of that community and they say, why and how? And our, our declaration is to God's glory and by His power. The world sees nothing because the world doesn't come through these doors. They can't see inside these walls. We don't even have windows. And so we have a generation, two generations really, where we have largely lopped off enormous areas of ministry that are outside of the context of formal liturgy liturgical worship, that's worship services, and we have lost them. And so we have people coming to me and say, I need a job in the church. I'm like, what do you mean? And they usually mean either in the service, in the programs, or in the building. 
And let me share with you some of the most powerful edification of the church is when you invest in the lives of the people that are the church. The programs are not the church. As effective as they might be, they aren't. The building is not the church. The service is not the church. The church is largely sitting right now. There's somebody standing out there, I'm sure, and there's me. But most of us are sitting right here. Some of the church aren't here. They're not well today. Um, They're traveling, uh, things like that. But that's the church. So we talk about that you are edifying, building up the church. It is not building up the numbers coming to worship services, but rather that you are strengthening and building up each other through the exercise of spiritual gifts. And again, as I have said each week, no list in Scripture is the definitive list. None of them are exhaustive. Their purpose is not to give us the full list of what can be done by the power of the Spirit and His giftedness. And so we want to expand that idea of what is ministering to others. Well, consider, what does the church need? See, I'm going to go back. I'm going to go about it backwards. Okay? Here's how we usually start. I'm going to take this spiritual gift inventory test. I'm going to look at the options that are currently being used and see where I fit into the categories of ministry, quote-unquote, that have been established and try to find the peg hole that I'm going to fit. What I want to challenge you this morning to do is start over here. What do people need? What do they need in their life? They need friendship. They need encouragement. They need instruction. They need direction. Boy, this generation needs direction. I've never seen such a lost group of people that I've had in the last six, seven years of my ministry among the young people. They're going nowhere, and there's nowhere to go. They are directionless. And the saddest part is, is there's no one saying, come this way, except maybe the gangsters. They need direction. They need instruction. Not only instruction in righteousness, oh, they need that. Oh, I know they need that. But they need instruction on, on living, on life skills that they are, that are being lost and, and generationally is getting growing worse and worse and becoming more and more dependent um, on everyone else outside instead of being able to function on my own. But they also need correction. When we begin looking at the needs of people, the needs within the church. Now we begin to have a handle on the breadth, width, and depth that ministry can take. And again, we are going to slam ourselves up against some countercultural behavior we're going to be trying to engage in. And you're going to have a lot of frustration trying to do this now because you're coming into this after 70 years of being quadriplegic, gradually losing function of so much of the work of the body of Christ. 
So we look. Ultimately, people need the Lord. They need the Gospel. And they need it in their lives where they are. And they need people in their lives to give them the Gospel. Perhaps one of the things that is the most debilitating, well, not the most, probably can't use the superlative there, one of the other things that is debilitating ministry is isolation. When you look at our society, we are an isolated society. We go from a cubicle called our house to a cubicle called our car to a cubicle called the office. And we close the doors, and sometimes we get into one cubicle before we open the door to the other one, right? Because you're so afraid of engaging the outside world that you get into your car and then you raise the garage door open, right? Hit the garage door opener and let it open. So you're in the car and the doors are locked. And so you're, I mean, I don't know about that. I don't know. I can't live by that kind of fear. I'm sorry. Um, But uh, we live in this isolated little world and um, we go from our computer. And if you think that people aren't isolated, go out into society and find what they're doing. Even if they're in a massive group. If you go to big sports function, if you go to some large massive group, just find out how isolated people are. Try talking to them for a little bit about anything important, and they'll go, Man, this guy's weird. You know, get your eye got out and do what we're doing, you know, this. And yes, if you come to my house and you bring your eye God, you're probably going to get harassed because I'm there in the room, okay? And uh, I'm offended by your ignoring me to look at your screen. And don't even think about bringing it to the dinner table. It will probably end up in the disposal. Um, we have isolated our lives into individuals, and the world has convinced us that we can get everything we need off of Google. And you can't. The Bible describes the body as a community dependent and interdependent upon one another. Where we recognize the importance of every part. Can the body function without certain members? Yes, but not easily. And you can ask this of anybody, no matter how small the member is that they have lost, whether it's a finger or two, or whether it's both of their legs or the use of any of their body, they will tell you life is hard. And it's harder without all the body parts. Ask those who have lost, whether it be their eyesight or their hearing, if they would rather function with those or stay as they are without. Can the body survive without some parts? Yes, but not well. And in many ways... The church today is on life support because so little ministry is going on to the benefit of the church. And I love the part where it talks about the honor that we bestow upon parts of our body that seem to be less honorable. See, the world exalts certain things as admirable 
God says that there are some of those aspects of the body that we don't want to talk about, that we don't want that uh, polite people don't discuss. But the fact is we know they're necessary. And we honor them. And we recognize that when they shut down, um, horrible things happen to the rest of the body. And we are in a condition where much of the necessary parts have been lost. And the function of the church has necessarily diminished. We think that only presentable parts are needed. But God says otherwise. Verse 25 says that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You are the body of Christ and members individually. Oh, that we would take this to heart and discover the necessity of caring for one another and the great benefit. For when we fail to do that, all the church suffers. For when the church is not about her business of ministering Christ to one another in a sacrificial manner, yes, I know you might have to give up things that are important to you, to minister to others. That's called sacrifice. That's what love is. We're going to learn about that next week. The problem is the church has no sensation anymore in many of her lower parts where she has stopped feeling the loss of ministry. And so I'm calling you this morning to a radical thing. And I've been doing that throughout Corinthians and I warned you at the beginning of the study that there was going to be some radical stuff here. It's time for us to look around this room and say, what do they need from me? Things beyond my comfort zone that I may not think I'm capable of, but if the Holy Spirit empowers me and gifts me in that area, I will seek to meet that need. And because we are Americans, we think that every that money can solve every need, and it doesn't. Um, and the poverty that we have in the church is a poverty of ministry. Now, in order for ministry to happen, there has to be another shift in our thinking. And that is that we have to humble ourselves and accept it. That is that we have to recognize that I need them. We've examined one side of this, which is I'm going to look at the needs that people have, people in the church and the lost around me. I'm going to look at their needs and say, Lord, how would you have me address those needs and, and not again, by my strength or my abilities or my wisdom, but by you, direct me in this. And we as a church need to be involved with one another and say, go help this person in that area of their life. 
But that requires something of the other side. And that is that we must be of an attitude and heart that is not very American because we are learning very early on that we glorify independence, not dependence. And God calls us to be interdependent first upon His Spirit and then upon His people. That we allow them to minister to us those areas that the Spirit has led them to do so. The church is identified. And we don't run out to the world. We don't run out to uh, solve those issues their way. We don't look at our peers that have no clue. But rather we go to those who are mature in the Lord and say, Help me! And frankly, that's as sick as the other side in the church. We are just as unable to allow people to minister to us as we are to examine how we can minister. Brethren, we need a physician. But we are in a radically bad place when it comes to ministry. I'm not going to seek this morning to develop some new programs pigeonhole your ministry to one another into. You know your needs. The question is, are you willing to say so? To take that humble slave and say, I have no idea what I'm doing with this. I'm lost. I'm hurting. I'm in need. I'm ignorant. I need. Oh, that we would be willing to say that when we come in the door and say, how are you doing today? I need someone to talk to. I need a friend. What are you going to do when you're confronted with that statement coming in the door? We don't even expect it, do we? You don't even look for it. That's how disabled our church is. Our young adults lack direction. They lack life skills. And you go and pray for them, but that's not enough. Some of our young moms are tired and lost and over their heads. Parenting is over your head, by the way, this day because there's all these experts out there. You know what the fearful thing of all experts are? They're not godly. They don't really know. Having been around a few generations, I can see the, the swinging of the pendulum from one extreme of parenting to the other extreme of parenting. And I see its effect on our young parents. And I'm, I feel for you, and, but you desperately, they desperately need help. Not just babysitting. I mean help. Say, so you don't need to do that anymore. That is not parenting. That's entertaining. That is not Parenting, that's befriending. You've got to be a parent to your children, not their friend. What context is that going to occur? 
our homes have been disheveled by our society, the place it should happen is in church. And so we are called upon. And, and, and I just stopped there with those two examples. I could just keep going right up the line. Um, now that I'm getting older and finding that some of my body parts aren't working like they used to, um, I'm starting to realize my needs. You know, I can't haul what I used to haul around. Can't work that hard anymore. I told my wife this week that it used to be I just scramble up and down a scaffold when there's scaffold work to do, like working on these lights out here. Um, now, going up and down the scaffold is work. It's not to get to work. It is the work. Now, I'm looking at that. I've got to go up there. And if I drop a tool off the scaffold, I don't just run down and get it anymore. I look at, can I do this without that tool? <laughs> okay? So we have needs. All of us have those needs. But our society has convinced us that independence is equal to success. Interdependence is an illness or something. Um, and And... God's word speaks very volumelessly otherwise. That we, if a, in a humbled state, which is un-American, in a humbled state, we declare our genuine true needs, but then we also declare our genuine interest in meeting the needs of others. And you can't have one without the other. And I've met people in church that need everything and aren't willing to give anything. There needs to be this balance in our lives that we say, here's where God has gifted me and I want to minister that to the edification of the church, but here's these areas that God has gifted others to minister to me and I must accept that and receive that ministry. Even if I don't understand it. And some of the needs that I have, I don't even know I have. And hence we come to this list like this and... Yes, there's pastors and prophets and teachers and, and, uh, um, and they're considered uh, higher gifts. But the most developed intelligence and head and neck is horribly weakened. And the rest of the body will not function. So Paul asks the questions, does everyone have to be an apostle, a prophet, a teacher, a worker, a miracle? Does everyone have to have any one gift? And does anyone, Do we all have to be at this? No. Desire the best gifts, and that is the greater gifts um, that God has called you into. How can I edify others? How can I build up the body of Christ? And we need to get outside of the box called religion and realize that ministry to the church happens throughout the week and not just on Sundays or Wednesdays. And all that we would open ourselves up to honest relationships that says, here's a need in my life and I'm willing to let you help me in that. And here's something that God's gifted to me in and, and I'm willing to help you Oh, we would humble ourselves and just say, okay, help me. And I think that the second one is a lot harder than the first. Do you agree? To let others come in. I 
I want to challenge us that we bring life back to the body. That we open up closed pathways of the past that have been vibrant and alive, that we reopen them and let the flow of the Spirit course through those veins again. That areas of ministry that were common in the church a hundred years ago might be revived today in this church. That you don't have to come to pastor and say, how can you use me? Rather that we together as a church identify one another's gifts and put them to use to the benefit of all. Well beyond the stretch or reach of any program of this church. It's time to let the spiritual gifts loose from the cage we put them in.